Welcome to the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. We come to you weekly from Shilling Speakers Toastmasters Club. An online club with global membership in District 91 in the UK. Welcome to this week's Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Today we have Paul Omani, Philippa Gray and me, Violeta Saladiene. Pat couldn't be with us and we will miss him. We also have today a special guest, but I will reveal it later. So, Philippa, what is your big idea of the week? Violetta, once again, I don't think I've had one. I may have had one, but I think I forgot it. Yesterday evening, I had to go out and deliver some letters locally for various reasons. And it was the most beautiful evening. It was Eventually, the sun came out and it was warm and it wasn't too windy and not many people around. It was just quiet. I thought, this is why I live in suburbia. Just lovely. I was high up looking over where I live and there were sort of houses up the hills and you see back gardens. Just beautiful. And I had this overwhelming sense of peace and being at one with the world. That is certainly my best thought for the week. And if there was any bigger thought, it got completely wiped out, obliterated. So there we are. How about you, Verletta? This week, I was focusing on my well-being and life-work balance. You know, how it is easy to lose the trap of it. There are periods in life when I take too much on my shoulders. Too much work, too many commitments, and not enough rest. Finally, I felt exhausted. Even though it was only Wednesday, but I wish it was Friday. I decided to check my diary and reduce the, my workload, leaving only top priority tasks. Moreover, I allocated some time for rest, sports, and working in nature. The latter has the same effect on me as meditation. Hopefully, I will be back on track soon again. That's my big idea of the week. What about you, Paul? My big idea is about language. Now, let me ask you, uh, Philippa, if I said to you, I am as patient as a what would be what would be your completion word? I'm as patient as a. What's the first word that comes into your head? Uh, anyone who works with me and has to. Um... No, 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 no. I mean a single phrase. I mean a single yeah. phrase. As patient as a dormouse. As patient as an alligator. What is what is the word you would put after it? as patient as a? Violetta, have you got a? a, a, a conclusion because i didn't have and this is the basis of the little story then i can see that it didn't come immediately into your mind which is a, a source of solace for me because i thought i had been living in away from society for many years when i didn't have an immediate answer i was walking the dog in the park two days ago and i met a man and i was looking at my favorite bird in the whole world a heron. 
And I was looking at the heron and the man came up to me and we started talking. He started to tell me about somebody who used to be in a hide, taking, uh, trying to take a photograph of a heron, uh, aiming to get the photograph of the heron swallowing a fish. Uh, how long this chap was there, I don't know. But in the course of the conversation, he used the phrase as patient as a heron. And I stopped and I looked at him and I said, pardon? I said, I've never heard that before. As patient as a heron? Now, have you ever heard of being as patient as a heron? I haven't, but I finally came up with kingfisher. I think birds waiting to catch a fish are absolutely the epitome of patience. Well, you can make them up yourself, but if you go onto the internet and you put in the phrase as patient as a heron, you will actually find references to it in literature. So that is my big, you know, mature as I am, experienced as I am, having engaged in several conversations in the course of my life and listened to many more, I have never heard anybody say I'm as patient as a heron, or you're as patient as a heron. So I think I might use it in a Toastmasters speech sometime and ask people to start off, hands up all you herons, and see what happens. Now, our guest, who we'll hear later on, uh, I, I have no doubt has... Uh, has something to say on this topic, but uh, we'll wait for the surprise, I think. But there we are, as patient as a heron. Um, I'm not totally sure it fits me, but it certainly fits the heron. Splendid idea and very good uh, comparison. I've never heard I can say. I would uh, add to this that uh, finish uh, your phrase, as patient as praying mantis because they sit and wait predators and they do not hunt and look for food but they just wait and they have to wait patiently until the food comes to them with this we are finishing our first part of our podcast Welcome to part two of the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. This week's guest is going to be introduced and interviewed by Violetta. Thank you, Philippa. Dear listeners, our guest today is a professional speaker, trainer and author. He is a co-founder and honorary fellow of the Professional Speaking Association and a long-standing member of Toastmasters International. Among his many speaking awards, he has won the District 71 title a record four times and the silver medal in the World Championship of Public Speaking. He is the author of 13 books. He has been training business leaders in communication skills since 1994. He lives in Nas with his wife, Evelyn, and is an active member of NAS Toastmasters. Please welcome Philip Khan Pani. Hi, hello. It's a great pleasure for us <clears throat> that you have come to our podcast today. What should we talk about? My first question is, uh, 
what is the reason why you have become a Toastmaster? Because somebody invited me to join a club that he was starting. And I'd never heard of Toastmasters before. He rang me up and said, have you heard of Toastmasters International? And I said, no. What is it? He said, it's a speaker's club. I said, I'll, I'll, have some of that. I'll have some of that because I always enjoyed public speaking. So I became a founder member of Bromley Speakers and that's how I began. Lovely. Another question I would like to ask you is, um, do you remember the time in your career when you did not know what you were doing? What was that situation, if any? No, I've never been in that situation because I've always tried to take charge of the circumstance I was in. Lovely. You don't and, always um, go on the same path. So circumstances will intervene, intervene and make whatever we're doing difficult or irrelevant. So we say you have to do something else. Now, if you hang around, wait for something else to happen to you, it's going to be very, very frustrating. So I like to take charge if, if the circumstances I'm in are no longer appropriate, I will construct my own plan to move on. That's exactly how I started my training business. I was working as a copywriter in the, in the, the 90s, following the failure of uh, one of my own enterprises. I used to own a newspaper and that, that, that failed. And so I was working as a copywriter and then somebody gave me the idea, said, why don't you start the training business you've always been talking about? How all these years being in Toastmasters, how this experience shaped you as a person? To be honest, I have no idea. I have no idea how it shaped me. It simply gave me something to do that I enjoyed doing. And um, I'm not sure it had a fundamental effect on me and the way in which I was progressing. But it was simply some, something I enjoyed doing and continue to enjoy doing. And would you say that all these years and when you won this distinguished awards, silver medal in international speech contest, it was a natural state for you to become? Or there was a certain way that you could recommend something for the Toastmasters that enjoy public speaking? Because as we know, there are thousands in international speech contest, there are 30,000 competitors, uh, people compete there, but not all of them even come there to compete. Some just enjoy speaking and stay in their local club or local community, but some, they want to achieve significant awards like you did. Do you think it's for you that was a, a natural state or the state you strived for, you aimed for? I think the answer to your question is, it has to be something like this. If you're competitive, then you will always aim to be as good as you possibly can be. Because success comes as a result of two things, talent and effort. And if you have no talent, you put in a lot of effort, you'll be successful up to a point, but not very successful. So you need a combination of talent and effort. And since I happen to have both, it was it, it, it enabled me to achieve some success. But then you know ev everybody, everybody can achieve a higher level of success than maybe they think they they can simply by working it out, by making the effort, by constructing a plan, developing their talents, developing their skills, and so on. So everyone has the opportunity 
to do better than they have been doing. And I wouldn't say that my success has simply been a question of luck. It's has been a combination of talent and, and effort. I've put in the effort, I've done, I've done the work. And I think that anybody can do that. Yes, I do believe. And I agree with you that everyone can do that. Moving on, apart from being a Toastmaster and a professional speaker, uh, do you have any other hobbies that you enjoy? Yes, I sing. Oh, that's lovely. And uh, do you belong to any band or club or, or core? I sang barbershop for more than 30 years. Uh, I sang barbershop in England. I came over to, to, to Ireland. I joined the Irish National Barbershop Chorus and sang for them for a few years. And I now belong to a, a kind of an amateur group of, of music makers. We meet once a week and we just take turns. We go around the room and take turns in playing instruments and singing songs. And it, it's incredibly enlightening because we, we, you have the opportunity to, to develop your skills and your talents if you want to. But more importantly, you, we all of us enjoy simply doing the, the, the process of making music and making music without pressure, and nobody can nobody complains and nobody nobody criticizes, no one judges how well or how badly you perform. And that is so, so refreshing. So we do that every week. That that is my one of my principal um, in, interests at the moment, quite apart from writing and, and, and reading. I was listening to you, Philip. I can listen to you all day. You talked about you know, if you've got the talents and you put the work in. Any advice on how do you know what where you've got your talents? I'm a feeling that when it comes to Toastmasters, I'm probably probably treat it the way you treat your music club, where it's somewhere where nobody criticizes you and you can just enjoy performing to other people. Every time you make an effort to stretch yourself to do something a bit beyond what you've been doing before, you'll discover how easy it is or, or, not, or not easy. And that will tell you what the limits of your talents are. So, but, but, but it's worth doing that. It's, it's worth trying to do something you haven't done before or to do something differently or better than you've done before, simply to discover, well, not simply, but to discover whether you're, you, you have any real skill, any talent in that area. And if you have, then it's worth working on it and developing it and becoming even better at it. Yes, you are absolutely right. Thank you very much. And you've reminded me, I did have a big thought, which was around, I keep trying to do lots of things and there's no point in trying to do that if I can't actually make each individual thing easy and quick. Yeah. So, yes, I think that's very much what you're saying. Yeah. But in the area of public speaking, let, let me just share a thought with you. One of my principal messages in public speaking is to tell the right story and tell it well. Now, what is the right story? Everybody has a story to tell. Whether you're in business or you're a private individual, you have a story to tell. This is You say, this is who I am, and this is what I bring to the world. Now, how what that story is, should be is not what you do, but it's about the significance and the, the benefit of what you do to the people that you encounter. So that's the right story. 
but you have to tell it well in such a way that it becomes appealing to those that you are addressing. Now, do we need to tell a story? Of course we need, because, because we all interact with other people around us, both in, the, in our private world and in, uh, in our public life. So we need to know what it is we bring to the party and we need to be able to articulate that in such a way that it becomes interesting in the first place and then useful to other people. Does that make sense to you? Yes, okay. absolutely. And I, I recommend everybody should learn how to put their point across in something in, in, in simply 30 seconds. You can say a tremendous amount of 30 seconds, but, and I'm reminded of the story of, of a young man who approached Arthur uh, who, uh, Bernstein. You remember the, the, the man who did the West Side story? And he went to see Bernstein and he said, I have an idea for um, a new musical. And Bernstein said, okay, write it down on the back of your business card. The man said, couldn't possibly fit on the back of business card. And Bernstein said, then it's not ready. I do like that, yes. Few people I interact with and I wish they could be more succinct. Let me tell you another little story. When I'm training people in communication skills, I frequently say, look, let's, let's, let's talk about 30 seconds. What can you say in 30 seconds? And I give them a, a little 30 second story and I ask them to tell me what they receive from it. I'm fascinated by the kind of reaction that we get. And here's the story. I want you to imagine that you're, you're a, well, you are a speaker. So you agree to attend uh, one of my seminars and, and I come along and I say this to you. This is my 30 second thing. I left home very early to be with you today. And as I walked towards my car, I met an attractive blonde in a red dress. She touched my arm and she said, where are you off to? And I said, I was going to give a talk to some speakers about effective communication. And I said, I had half an hour to explain how to make your point in just a minute. And she laughed and she said, isn't that what speakers do? Take half an hour to say what could be said in just a minute. And I wondered if you'd agree. Yes, absolutely, Philip. Now, what did you see from that? What, 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 you, what did you understand about my relationship with that blonde in the red dress? Oh, let me think. You were telling an intriguing story. Yes, you were listening to the blonde and taking in what she said. I told the story to, to a, a, a group of people I, I was trained one day, and one of them was a woman, and she said, I'm not yet, this is what she did. With her right hand, she pushed away the, the image of the blonde, and she said, I'm not interested in that blonde. Now, if you'd said an attractive brunette, that would have been different. I said, now, that's a fascinating response. What, where did that come from? And she said, because I was jealous. She was jealous, and I didn't understand what she meant by she was jealous. But it turned out that she was jealous because she wanted to be in that relationship with me instead of that. But I, I didn't understand it at the time. I just thought she was just, she didn't like blondes. Then I, I asked a man who was in the same room, and I said, now, what, what did you think? He said, I was jealous of you being with that blonde because I wanted to be there. You see how people imagined a real person. They, they, they envisaged the whole thing. You see, that little story in 30 seconds, I've told so much there. And people put themselves in this, in this situation. They could see it happening. They imagined this, 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 this blonde as a real person. And they re were reacting to it. 
Now, in fact, the real the, the London doesn't exist. It was it was entirely imaginary. But people, can, a little thing when I say she touched my arm and asked me, and they say immediately, "You are in a close relationship with this person." You see how little details can tell so much in a short space of time, 30 seconds. Now, I tell you that story simply because to illustrate how much power there is in words if you know how to use them. You're right. And that's something I'm learning all the time. What else can I tell you? Philip, can I chip in a question? When you were speaking a minute ago before you talked about the story, you were yes. talking about talent and effort and uh, how you can get better. And I, I wondered to what extent you have found your own ideas resonating with the ideas of the founder of Toastmasters, Ralph C. Smedley, in his writings about that topic, same topic. Have you, have you ever delved into his his writings, and if you have... No, I haven't. I haven't. What did you say? Well, it's all, you know, you two are two chips off the same block in that sense. <laughs> he, particularly when you talked about, suppose it's a cliche, getting out of your comfort zone, stretching yourself so that you discover the limits of your abilities at any particular moment in time. Mm. And he he talks about how Toastmasters is a place where you can make a fool of yourself among, you know, friends or among people who will support you. So you can actually, you know, fall down, get muddled, do everything that you, you wouldn't want to do outside in society, if you like. So I was, I thought to myself, hmm. Philip and Ralph C. Smedley. Now, that would be an interesting combination. You've written six, seven books, and I've... Thirteen. Uh, Thirteen. Oh, sorry, sorry. And I've only bought three of them during your interview. Um, uh, I, I didn't uh, realise that uh, if uh, th that you had a, a book about how to give a great best man speech. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I wish I, I'm going to get that. And... Um, I, I will find some of my nieces or nephews and uh, and give it to them. But it was the the resonance, the the connection that I found ever so easy to make. Uh, yeah, getting your point across. Yes, yes, that that's probably the one you're selling at the moment. But the the ones you've written back in two thousand and three, two thousand and four, two thousand and five. A fantastic collection, I have to say. I recommend them to any curious listeners. I want to add something to what you were saying about Ralph C. Smedley. There's something, there, there, there's, a, there's a mindset behind what he said, what he wrote about extending yourself and so on. And about the, 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 the kind of environment that he wanted Toastmasters to be where you can make a fool of yourself and you can try things and, and fail. You can fail and, and, and it's all right. What he, what he said then, and I think a lot of people have forgotten, is that you must recognize that sometimes a Toastmaster will fail for reasons 
that are hard to explain because there could be something wrong with them. And what, what tends to happen in Toastmasters is that people go on the attack and say, you did this badly. Instead of saying, hang on a minute, why, 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 why has Paul done this? I and mean, this isn't like Paul. Let's find out if there's something behind this. Let's take Paul aside and see, is there a problem? Is there some help you need? Other than, than simply to give the, the, the kind of analysis that evaluations give. And I have seen, I have witnessed people being attacked, savagely attacked, savagely attacked for malfunctioning because it, it has, the malfunction has, has affected the, 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 the delicate ego of some of the people there. And, and I think that is wholly wrong. And I think that Ralph C. Smedley, I think he had in the back of his mind the, the, the concept, the old fashioned concept of being charitable. So, you know, you, if you see somebody doing something badly because they haven't, because they're inept or they haven't got the talent or whatever it is, be kind. If you see somebody behaving in a way that's uncharacteristic of them, be kind. Find out what, how you can help them. Don't criticize them. Don't condemn them. Find out how you can help them. I think that is the fundamental tenet of Ralph C. Smedley's thinking. And undoubtedly, you see, you've been so much in the public eye over many, many years that you will have um, come across perhaps that type of criticism, perhaps even leveled at yourself. However, in eight years, in my time in Toastmasters, I can remember two evaluations that I said to myself, oh, oh, really, that's not very nice. That's not. And I've heard innumerable evaluations which have been so nice, so kind, so generous that they haven't been of any help to the poor old speaker who wants to get better. So I uh, think Toastmasters is full of saints. Okay, so I hope, I, I hope I've contributed some, some useful thoughts to you. Thank you very much, Philip. Thank you for coming and being a guest in our podcast today. It was a great pleasure and honor to have you as a guest. Thank you for coming and uh, sharing your thoughts. Bye-bye. With this, we finish our second part of Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Wait for our soapbox, which is in our third part. Today, in our soapbox, we have Paul Omani. Welcome, Paul. Soapbox is yours. What kind of an organization is Toastmasters in five words? Is it public speaking organization? Is it a communications and leadership organization? Is it an educational organization? Or is it a storytelling organization? And if you could only tell somebody as you get out of the lift in an elevator pitch, if you like, what would you say? Which of those four would you say? And I've recently been reading what the founder of Toastmasters International said, and which one do you think he said it was? Okay, uh, here's the answer. Toastmasters is an educational organization. That was what Ralph C. Smedley wrote in 
probably about 1956. I haven't got the writings in front of me, but uh, there's a superb little book which contains lots and lots of his writings. So if education, if Toastmasters is an educational organization, I don't think any of you listening to this would disagree with that. You might want to put a spin on it. So let me ask you why, if Toastmasters International is an educational organization, why do we give such enormous encouragement to people to tell stories? There are storytelling organizations. I, I don't know the names of many of them. I, I speaking today from Cork and there are two storytelling organizations in, in Cork. They meet uh, regularly and people at those meetings tell stories. They do not give speeches. So what's the difference between a speech and a story? I've been to, I think, in excess of 20 speech contests this year at a variety of levels in a variety of countries, in a variety of districts. And I bet you, you've noticed the same thing as I've noticed that storytelling is the uh, number one thing. I haven't heard a single speech about climate change. I haven't heard a speech uh, about inflation. I haven't heard a speech about housing, ed education. I haven't heard a speech about racism, sexism. I haven't heard a speech about many of the social issues in society. And I'm wondering why. Why would you never win a Toastmasters speech contest if you gave a speech about an important issue in society? Why would you only win if you told a personal story as if your life was particularly important to anybody in the big picture of things? This bothers me a lot because I believe that one of the most valuable things you can do when you're trying to achieve your purpose in communicating with people is to tell a story. However, how many speech speakers have I heard begin their speech by telling a story? There's a little phrase like, you know, how often are you generous to other people? Toastmasters, friends. I was standing on the ship and this happened and that happened and they launch into a story. And there's been a perfunctory beginning really small little bit of an introduction where you might get a vague idea about what the speech is about. But very soon you're captivated by the story or bored by it, but basically you got a, you got, you're listening to a storyteller. And isn't it very easy to not know what the point of telling the story is? What is the purpose of this story? Is it rags to riches? Is it unkindness to generosity, whatever it is. And, and how is this relevant to me? Because we've all heard innumerable stories in our lives. I mean, hardly a day passes when somebody doesn't tell you some kind of a story. Oh, I came home from work today. You wouldn't believe what Joe did and launch into a story once again. Or, you know, I was down at the bus stop. And, you know, I got talking to some fellow who thought that you know, left-handed people should be separated from right-handed people. It was completely bonkers. So, but there's another story. People have stories about, you know, people crossing the channel. 
what should be done about refugees. You hear stories all the time from people. Sometimes they are personal stories that they might tell you they were a refugee or that they, they met a refugee. And other times they're opinions, which aren't really stories, I suppose. So why on earth are there so many stories told in Toastmasters, which are introduced in a very, very short period of time, so that you find yourself wondering, what is the point of this story? And then I've heard also in these speech contests, the story or stories go on for a long time. It's a five to seven minute speech. And at about seven minutes and 10 seconds, the speaker decides to say something about the relevance of the story. Instead of starting talking about the relevance of the story at about six minutes, it isn't until very close to the end of the speech that the speaker is going to explain why I'm telling you this story. Now, of course, if you have an extraordinary story, and, and I mean a really extraordinary story, that any audience would understand why you're telling this story, what the purpose is, and what the underlying message is. Fair enough. But how many people are able to tell a story that's quite as good as that? They come very, very rarely. I suppose that, you know, four score and ten, our forefathers came to these shores, the Gettysburg Address, which begins with a story. I suppose. That's an example. Now, it's not a personal story, but it's a story. And at no point did Lincoln say, I'm going to refer to all these people who've died in the battlefield in order to get you to think about how we can bring the country together again after such a horrendous civil war. But my grouse, the reason I'm on this soapbox today, is that I'd like something to be done to change the culture in speech contests in Toastmasters so that the stories serve the message better and that people will remember that before they start to decide what story they're going to tell, they need to have a purpose or it would help them if they had a purpose and started with, I want this audience to go out today and speak to 10 people and tell them that they are loved. And in order to do that, I'm going to tell them a story rather than I'm going to tell them a story. And at the end, I'm, I've got to figure out well, what I'll ask them to do because there has to be a call to action. I haven't figured out what that will be yet. So that's why I'm grumbling. That's why I'm a little bit awkward and uncomfortable about the direction of travel. And here's a, what you might like to do. You might like to watch the next uh, three or four speech contests, or even one for that matter, and say to yourself, I wonder what story this speaker is going to tell me and how long it will take me to work out what the purpose of the story is. And if it takes quite a while, like if it takes three minutes for me to understand what the purpose of the story is, you can be sure that some people are making tea in the background because they don't see the point of continuing to listen. And remember, 
there's no duty on your audience to listen to your story. So they better have some kind of an idea what they're going to get out of your story. Otherwise, there is a risk that they're going to think, well, I've heard much more interesting stories in my life. Thank you, Paul. Well, that's the soapbox for this week. So from Paul Amani, I'll say cheerio. I'll say goodbye. I'm thinking, I don't think I've ever thanked you for listening to us. So thank you, listeners. And I say goodbye from Valeta Saladiene. That's it for today from the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share with your friends.